and welcome to the Meshed Young Adult Ministry Podcast. Today we are joined by special guests Michael and Tiffany Richardson. Now to our host, Randy Jumper. Today I'm joined by Michael and Tiffany Richardson, longtime friends. Uh, they were young adults when I began my ministry working with young adults here in this area and now have gone on to work overseas as well as in the states and are currently working in Chi Alpha Campus Ministry. So Michael, Tiffany, introduce this yourself to us. Give us a couple updates about you and where you're at and where you're working. So Michael and Tiffany Richardson, we are the directors, campus directors uh, at Hendricks College in Conway, Arkansas, working with Chi Alpha, making disciples. Tiffany and I have been in ministry together from the beginning, and it's been incredible. We've seen the Lord do remarkable things. And uh, quite obviously, this this season of life has presented some challenges, and uh, we've just been trying to, to press into the Lord and see what He wants us to do through um, through COVID, through difficulties with trying to figure out uh, how to minister on a campus where faculty is not uh, thrilled about our, our presence and sometimes ministering to students uh, that don't seem to be the most open to it. Um, so that's what, what we've kind of been trying to figure out more recently. Tiff, anything you want to add to that? Michael and I have been married almost 15 years. We have three oh, kids yeah. and we've been <laughs> on the college campus for five years now. Um, and we really, really, truly love college students, believe that college ministry is one of the most strategic ministries that you can be a part of. So we're just glad to be here with you guys. Cool. Thanks for having us, Randy. You, uh, you kind of hinted at, um, where you're at in context and it's interesting. You guys spent 10 years working with unreached people groups in, um, the two thirds world. And now you've come back to work in college ministry you're on a uh, what's maybe professes at one point to be a Christian liberal arts school or one at least was founded by a church. Yeah. Um, but espouses a secular sort of ethos that the separation of church and religious belief and practice from the educational journey and from society in general. How how are those the unreached people groups of East Africa similar and different from the context you're currently in? It's a great question. <laughs> um, I think there were definitely times uh, in Tanzania where we felt more free to share the gospel than we have on the college campus. Um, mainland Tanzania is a lot more open. Um, and I think that East Africans in general understand spirituality in a very different way than we as Americans do, um, because they have experienced it. And so visiting a witch doctor or seeing someone demon possessed is very commonplace. And so they know that spiritual things are real. It's just a matter of who is more powerful. Um, and so when you, introduce people to Jesus who has all authority and people get healed or demons get cast out. Like the gospel moves forward. Um, but on the college campus, it's like the opposite problem where it's like people, I, I think for us at Hendrix, even though it was founded by the Methodist church at this point in time, it's very secular in that most students that you come across either grew up in church and are intentionally coming to Hendrix to get away from church um, and religion, or they were unchurched. Um, and so it's much more an atmosphere of human reasoning 
is the answer and human effort is the answer. And so they're very um, suspicious of spiritual things. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I don't know more add to that. No, yeah, I think similarities, uh, they all belong to God and they all have a godly identity that they are aware of or not aware of, uh, but God puts something inside of them and desires inside of them uh, that are similar. And so when you're reaching lost people, to some extent, uh, you're reaching lost people. Differences uh, in Africa, uh, well, I'll just say in Tanzania and with the UPGs that we worked with, the question was, who who is God? Uh, and and here uh, on the on the college campus, the question is, does God exist? Uh, and so it, it changes things just a bit in the way that we uh, pursue people. Uh, it feels like uh, relationship was much easier overseas and with UPGs uh, than than it is um, on the college campus. Everyone is vying for relationship, and so it's kind of difficult to compete in the uh, yeah, in the area of relationship. And you can't just come in with ideas and win anyone over. Worst case scenario, uh, you defeat someone in a debate uh, and there's zero relationship. You'll never see them again. Yeah. Um, so it's not it's not even that people are genuinely looking for truth. It's that they want a soul connection. And then when they see the fruit of your life, then you have credibility. So it doesn't matter. Like there's all they know there's always someone smarter. You can't outwit someone into the gospel. So. Yeah, very, very different places, but the same, same soul hunger, I would say. Sounds like apologetics is uh, for you guys is less debate and more dialogue. Absolutely. Inviting to the next conversation as opposed to winning the conversation you're currently in. Yeah, absolutely. They have tons of professors that are incredibly smart, but they have zero credibility uh, because of the fruit of their life. Interesting. So do you think, are your students that you're interacting with, are they they coming to the campus predisposed with this sort of secular view or is the campus um, creating it? Do you see this as a stage of life for young adults in general or is this systemic? Where where do you think it comes from? I would say uh, that that it is, um, it's a mixed bag, but I will also say that there's an indoctrination that very intentionally takes place early on at Hendrix, uh, mm-hmm. where they take uh, people away from uh, outside communities and they they take them on trips uh, and, and they start to pour Hendrix culture into them. I will say for, for the school, they are very good at community, very good at intentionally isolating students and putting them uh, in places where their their consumption and what goes into their mind uh, and and goes into their heart is 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 very closely watched uh, initially. And so by the time that we get to them, it's a little bit different than other campuses. By the time that we get to them, they have already very very uh, in, intentionally been placed into communities that are difficult to pull them away from. And so the new game is for us community infiltration because we can't just. We can't just pluck students out. They're so deeply connected by the second week of school that, yeah, you know, they've, they've already got their, their groups. I don't know if that answers the question, but. I think it's a both and. You were asking if they come predisposed to a secular worldview or if it's fostered mm-hmm. on the college campus. And I, I think that it is both. I think that I'm seeing more like freshmen coming in already with a very secular worldview, specifically in regard to 
um, like very talked about issues. Like whenever we're talking about sexuality or abortion or politics or justice, I think even high school seniors now already have a very secular worldview of those things and not a biblical worldview of those things. And so I think that often that secular worldview on those things is reinforced during their time in college. Like Michael is saying, I mean, specifically at Hendricks, I know that it is, um, but I think even coming in, a lot of the students that we're seeing, they don't know what the Bible says about any of those things. No, and they have they have no standard. So it's a, it's a system of moral fluidity. Whatever yes. it is that you think, you feel, uh, what is comfortable, that is that is your standard. And the problem with that is without a singular standard, students are left with life experience. They're left with their consumption in media and politics and with the people that they've surrounded themselves with. So one person's truth is different than the next person's truth, but none of that should be challenged, which is interesting because the college campus, I would, I would think is the place to come to have your thinking challenged and for you to be, to evolve in your thinking. But yeah, you can't step on anybody's toes. It doesn't seem like. Fascinating. Um, We were talking before we got on this call about a guy named James K. Smith who wrote a book called How Not to Be Secular. And one of the things he argues with another guy named uh, Charles Taylor, they they suggest that this generation of secular individuals, young adults, college kids, but in general, that um, they they understand that bifurcation of separation that you just talked about. Um, And they use uh, the old concept that God is dead, you know, that the, that we've killed God, God is dead. But then they insert the phrase Smith does the ghost of God haunts them Mm. that it's, they've dismissed them from their lives. They've, they've divided it up. And yet there is this ghost of what if, and so Mm. they seek supernatural and spiritual. And he argues everything from the MCU universe of Thor and superheroes yes, to the occult. Is that something, are your students coming on secular, but still seeking spiritual? What what are your observations? Well, I mean, I even can just speak for my family. I have, uh, I have some family that they are, they would be sophomores in college this year. And I see that in their life so much. They grew up in church. However, their worldview is very secular and, but they are hungry for spiritual things. They're obsessed with the Marvel, Marvel universe and superheroes. And they're also obsessed with very dark TV shows where there's a lot of witchcraft um, and a lot of like this, the TV show Supernatural is one of their favorite shows, but the theology of it is so terrible and dark. Um, and so I definitely feel like I am seeing that in students. Yeah. Religion, uh, almost seems um, it almost seems like it's a it's a uh, fashionable thing uh, to me I, I run into a lot of students that want to like espouse a certain belief that really isn't um, it's not lived out it's just a it's like a fashion it's something to set you apart or to to yeah kind of a way to be viewed so it's interesting how we've incorporated uh, supernatural elements based on real supernatural elements and called it fantasy. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes accessible and acceptable. It's, it's, it seems to be meeting a spiritual need. That's not that people still have. How are you then breaking through 
with the gospel? Um, how are you presenting Christ as more than a a fantasy-based superhero? And how are you sharing faith and spirituality with people who have that sort of separation that's important to them? Yeah. For for me, uh, the thing that comes to mind is it's really tempting to chase uh, relevancy. And uh, I've I've been told... I don't know how, how this is going to sound or look, so please forgive the language, but uh, I've been told that relevancy is over the last 50 years or so a whore that the church has gotten in bed with. And it's, it's crass language intentionally um, because it's, it's depicting uh, like something that is grotesque and that we should look at and we should say, man, contextualization does not mean that we step away from the example that was given 2000 years ago. I think, the old, real, raw, first century model is as relevant as it has ever been. And so whenever I think about what it means to be a Christian, that is to be like Christ. And so that means we look at Christ's life in the Gospels, and then we imitate. And yes, there is a contextualization that takes place, but the Gospel is the Gospel. And whenever I see that in the book of Mark, Jesus was doing one of five things. He was calling showing, teaching, entrusting, or sending the people that were around him, I want to do that. So whenever I get in contact with a student, the first thing that I try to do is I place a call before them. There's very little small talk. It's maybe five minutes or so of just pleasantries. And then it is a question or looking for in something that they've said, an open door and an opportunity to speak to what I know their soul is hungry for. And so a call that gets placed before someone is not a cheap one. The gospel is not cheap. It was, it's, it's incredibly costly. And so it is, I know that your soul is hungry for this. Uh, and, and I know that what we see toward the end of uh, the book of Acts is something that all of us are created for. And whenever I give that depiction and they say, man, that, that sounds incredible. The call has been, been placed. And so they have an opportunity to come into something they know what they're a part of. They're not, it's not a bait and switch. They're not coming in for just a little bit of relationship and then they're going to leave later on, which I've, I've been there and I've done that too. I've tried to catch them with all kinds of different nets, but the net that you have to catch someone with is the net that you will have to keep them with. And so uh, whenever I bring the Bible out later on, or I start preaching the gospel a little bit later on to them and speaking to their soul, sometimes people will, will take off if that's not what they were caught with. And the thing that I had to come to grips with, Randy, uh, that was really difficult for me was I don't want everyone I have to stop trying to chase everyone. I'm looking for fertile hearts. I'm looking for that 30, 60, 100 fold and I'm planting seed everywhere that I go and I'm watching for fruit. And whenever that little bit springs up, those are the people I surround myself with. And I know that the way that I put a call in front of people, people will, some people will be repulsed by that. Uh, Some people will turn away from that. Some people will hear that truth and it'll be the stench of death. And I'm okay with not surrounding myself with people that are not ready yet, that the Holy Spirit hasn't gone before me and prepared their hearts for the gospel to be planted. So I I think five minutes, get straight to it. This is what the Lord has done in my life. Sharing testimony opens the door really quickly. And then on from there, I give them relationship and then call for commitment. And that has to, to coincide. You give them as much relationship as the as the level of commitment that you want to call them to. Um, and that's what it looks like for me. Tiff? Um, yeah, I was just thinking about how we try to share our testimony pretty quickly as soon as we meet students, just of the life that we've experienced in Christ of like, man, 
I used to binge watch Netflix <laughs> every night. And then I would end up so tired the next day. And I would do that thinking that it was restful. And then I would end up so tired because there's not life in that, you know? And, but you know, what I have found life in is spending time with the Lord and spending time with God's people and getting outside and doing stuff, you know? And so just trying to put in front of them testimonies of like, what you're doing now is darkness, but like, here's what it looks like to live in life and like, come do it with me, you know, like come with me as we do this together. And like, I think that that's one of the things that we see that Michael's even talking about of putting a call in front of people is that call from let's, let's leave behind those things that aren't really doing what you think they're doing anyway, you know, like the Marvel universe, all that, like, that's just a silly example, but like all that stuff that we're talking about, that secularism, you think that it's giving you a sense of control or you think that it's giving you rest, but like, is it really like, do you really feel rested after you do those things? Or do you really feel like you have control over your life when you're doing X, Y, Z? Like, let's, let's try this with the Lord and see if you don't feel different. Like, let's give God a chance and see if you don't feel more freedom, see if you don't feel more peace, see if you don't feel more at rest, you know? And, and so it's putting that call in front of people and then living it out with them. I think that is so different. As lost as people are, there's more anxiety and depression and fear and doubt and political worry than I've ever experienced in my life. And it makes as crazy as it is, it makes for an incredibly fertile community and opportunity to minister. It's fascinating that the byproduct of society's desire to separate the supernatural from the natural is a natural world that is more stressed and chaotic than it ever has been. So true. Um, Absolutely. And that is uh, some of the challenge that's before us as college and adult leaders is helping cut through all that space and saying there is a better path to follow and walk. Yeah. Thank you guys for being light on uh, your campus and long-term friends. And thank you for impacting your world and helping us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Randy. Thanks for, thanks for investing in us uh, early on. We wouldn't be where we are without you, buddy. That's right. Thank you. Thanks for listening in. Join us next time on the Meshed Young Adult Ministry Podcast. For more resources, check out yaministry.org.